Glad she gets her singing from her mother. <laughs> the other, I was going to share this with you. The other, Marley accepted Christ as her Savior a few months ago. And the other night she was asking her mama, do people not accept Jesus as their Savior? Where do they go? And Jessica was telling her no to hell. And she wanted to know if we knew anybody that had died and gone to hell. You know, I don't know that answer. And uh, I just pray that I do know some people that have not accepted Christ as their Savior. But I want to challenge all of you, if you know some people like that, pray for them. You know, Marley's praying for people she doesn't even know. But she wants them to go to heaven as well. And I'm glad that she's got a spirit that loves people. And I'm glad that uh, she's got a good mama to help her and guide her. And uh, I just kind of stay in the shadows. But I pray for them too. And I just wanted to share that with you all. So, Brother Skip, if you'd like to come now, thank you. Good morning, everyone. It was uh, good to spend some time in Sunday school with many of you and uh, study God's Word. And we're excited to be here, my wife Wanda and I. Uh, a little bit of a, a, a travel from Westminster to here, but it was very pleasant. Very, there's very little traffic on the highways early in the morning. It just You just kind of get out there and, and, and roll. And uh, really enjoyed that. I did share with the Sunday School this morning that um, I am somewhat of a sports enthusiast. And so... I don't know if any of you know out here, but there's a football game this afternoon in Denver. And uh, no, we will not be rushing back to watch a football game. Uh, fortunately, we can record it. And the other fortunate part is, is if we didn't record it, you know what? I don't think I'd really miss it overall. Uh, being in the Lord's house with God's people is, is truly a blessing uh, for us. My wife and I uh, have been married 30 years and... Uh, She's still with me, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a blessing of the Lord just by itself. But uh, we have two grown boys, um, both in the military. Our oldest son is a captain uh, in the Army. Uh, he's been trained with uh, Ranger training, and now he's in Special Forces. Our youngest son is a pilot in the Air Force, graduated from the Air Force Academy. And uh, he's also in Special Forces, though that wasn't, that wasn't really his first choice. And uh, so we praise the Lord uh, for the blessings that God's given us. Recently, it's not been that far since uh, Veterans Day. And uh, I just uh, want to say uh, thank you for each of you, men and women, who may have served our, our country. Uh, it's a special thing for me. I served in the Air Force as well, uh, fought in the first Gulf War. And I have so many things to thank the Lord about. Here we are the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And uh, is there joy in our hearts for what the Lord has done and the many things that He has done? Even in the difficult times, are we able to give our Lord thanks? And that, that's kind of what I'd like to focus on this morning. Being a sports enthusiast, I was actually very disappointed a number of years ago and, and again most recently with some of these professional football players. Now, my wife and I both grew up in the South, and uh, college football is very big in the South. Uh, it wasn't in, I mean, our pro teams were in Atlanta, eventually got one in Charlotte, and so we didn't really have pro football around, but we had a lot of college football. So there was a fella who was a running back, 
in college named Warwick Dunn. Some of you may remember him. Later on, uh, he went to play with the Atlanta Falcons and had a decent career. It wasn't one of your more outstanding careers, uh, but he had a really good career. He was heavily involved, though, in humanitarian work. He had an organization that built homes for uh, needy mothers, did a lot of good work, charitable work with the monies he had. However, uh, out of all the acclaim and praises that he got regarding his charitable work, he was sorely disappointed that he wasn't getting recognition for his on-the-field accomplishments. And my first thought when I had read this article back then was what an extremely childish and petty thing for a professional football player to care so much about what people were saying about him off the field and things that don't matter uh, in light of eternity. A number of years after that, uh, there was a wide receiver, Randy Moss, who no longer plays in the NFL now, had a, had a really good career uh, with the Minnesota Vikings and went to the New England Patriots and, and really had decent careers uh, with them as well. Read a similar article about him where he was disappointed that his, he was unappreciated. He'd had an over 1,000-yard receiving year and a number of catches and was wanting a new contract. And the New England Patriots told him, we're not negotiating any new contract with you until the season's over. And this just made him angry and frustrated. And again, I thought to myself, what silly men these are. They do what less than 1% of, high, uh, of college football players are able to do. I don't know what your aspirations were. I grew up playing football, baseball, some basketball. Really thought I had some talent and had aspirations to play professional ball. Never worked out. The Lord uh, showed me pretty early on. And I really didn't have that kind of career So I wa uh, or possibility. So I watched from afar. And I watched what these gifted, talented men can do, things that most of the rest of us uh, can dream, only dream about doing as far as physical talents and abilities on a field. From a secular point of view, I wonder if either player has ever given much thought to the fact that they do what, what many men in America wish they could do. Not everybody. Uh, most people have their uh, lives pretty straight on these kinds of things. I was reminded of this just within the last few weeks. There's been two different professional football players, one who wouldn't come into his team at halftime. Stayed out on the field. Said he was too tired to come into the locker room. Another fellow, uh, halfway through the game, decided he was just going to leave the field. So he left the team out on the field, went back to the locker room, left everybody behind. It's just an amazing thing how selfish and really how ungrateful uh, some people are. Unfortunately, there are many Christians, though, that do not spend time giving thanks to their Heavenly Father for their blessings towards Him. I just want to spend some time this morning in a passage of Scripture that reminds us that we're to be thankful at all times about all things, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, a fascinating passage of Scripture. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are spent in laying uh, doctrinal foundation and reminders of doctrine. 
There's very little application. In fact, I think there's only a couple of commands, a couple of imperatives in the first three chapters uh, in the book of Ephesians. But when you get to chapter 4 through chapter 6, you find it full of commands, imperatives from God, how to live the Christian life, what the church is supposed to look like, how believers are to be unified, and how they're supposed to walk together as one. And many applications are made in in that passages of Scripture about us personally. And I want you to back up. Our focus is going to be on verse 20 this morning. This is where uh, we'll, we'll jump off from and develop that. But I do want you to see Uh, the context of what's going on within this particular passage. So let's start at verse 15. And I want to read through, I believe it is verse 21. Verse 15 says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Excuse me. submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I I ask this morning uh, that you would challenge us in our hearts, examine our hearts. You already know our hearts. But show us where we may be in error. (coughs) Show us where we may have issue. Especially in this matter of thanksgiving. We've come to a wonderful time of the year for us where we give thanks uh, for this nation that you've given us for this land that we're able to be in, for the prosperity that we've enjoyed for many, many years. And I pray that we, as a group of believers here in this church today, will be able to look to You and give thanks to You in all things. That our hearts rejoice in the blessings that You bestowed upon us and the blessings that are yet to come. Now, Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's true. I thank You that it's powerful. And I thank You that it shines light on our areas of need. Bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I apologize. Just a few days ago, it seems like I'm either starting to catch a little cold, which I hope is not, or allergies. I'm not sure which. And so uh, I'm going to take a little little sip of water here and, and see if we can proceed. In this particular passage, um, we are told to do a lot of things. And the first thing is to walk carefully. Walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise people. Why? Because we have only a certain amount of time in this world. And we're to make the most of it. Where it says redeeming the time, the idea there is to make the most of the opportunities that God has given you. The days are evil. And as we talked about in Sunday school, these evil days will not continue forever. There will be a time where God will cut off the evil ones and the righteous will rule and the righteous will reign. 
But for this time, the days are evil and we have a responsibility to redeem the time. We need to buy it back, make the most of it that we can with the time that God has given us, with the talents and abilities that God has given us, with the resources that God has given us. In order to do that, we need to understand God's will. Now, there's a lot of folks that uh, spend some amount of time wondering, what is God's will for me? And though we won't develop that in this message this morning, it's pretty straightforward. There's commandments all through Scripture. We're to go out, we're to give the gospel, we're to win the lost, we're to disciple, uh, to make disciples. We're to train, to reach out. In this particular book, we're to edify and build up one another as a body of believers. There's a lot of things that are very general in teaching and commands that God has given us to do. We know the Lord's will. Now, there may be specific things in each of our lives that we seek the Lord about. We spoke about this morning that God establishes the steps of a good man. He orders it. And and the steps that you take are not the same steps that I'll take because God has established specific paths for each of you. But it's all on a path of righteousness and it's all to have compassion for the lost and to reach out to the lost and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and to love our God with our whole heart and to serve Him faithfully. These are things that are God's will. We don't have to guess at what those are. We just have to be obedient and do them. How do we do it though and honor the Lord? We do it by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you see these specific applications later in the book of Ephesians, they all follow uh, from this verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And this particular meaning of filled with the Spirit is not that it's something that we do on our own per se, but it's that we open ourselves up, we make ourselves available to God, and we say, Lord, please fill me with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit already resides within every believer. You're not going to ever get any more of the Holy Spirit than you have now if you're a believer. But what the Holy Spirit is not is He is not a bully. And so He dwells within the house, but He's waiting for you to allow Him to take over and control the house. This tabernacle that we dwell in. So we go to the Lord, we humble ourselves before the Lord, and we ask Him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And God will graciously do that. And as a result, and these aren't all inclusive, the verses that follow tell you the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to know if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're walking with the Lord and the Holy Spirit's controlling your life, then take a look at your music. Take a look at what's going on in your heart. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Beautiful instrumentals today. Beautiful congregational singing today. Those are evidences that we are yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And if you're up here and you sing a special and you're singing it to the Lord, that's evidence that it's for the Lord. That you've asked the Lord to fill you and use that gift and use that talent for His glory. And especially when we see the little ones who sing and perform, what a blessing it is because they're just open. They just want to be used. There's an innocence. And that's the way our Christian walk ought to be. When we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, there should be an innocence about it, but a real joy. How do you communicate with your fellow believers here at First Baptist Church? 
Do you speak to one another and edify one another in song and hymn in your giving of songs? Because you're singing to the Lord, you're also edifying the body when we sing together as a congregation. In verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you truly fear the Lord in that you humble yourself before Him and you yield yourself to all the authorities that He's placed above you? And that's not an easy thing to do. To be obedient and submissive to those in authority that God has placed upon us, whether that be in government, whether that be in work, or whether that be within the body of Christ, you better yield yourself to the Holy Spirit because we don't want to do it. Our flesh, our nature, does not want to yield to anyone. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit and submit to Him and then submit to those He's placed in authority above us. But the verse I really want to dig into is verse 20. One of the three results here. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian is expected to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. And if the Bible says it, we should accept it and we should yield ourselves to it. If every Christian is expected to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then the second result of spirit is Spirit-filled thanksgiving directed to our Heavenly Father. And what we'll find here that Spirit-filled thanksgiving is first continuous and comprehensive. It's continuous and comprehensive. The verse starts out, giving thanks always. Always giving thanks. So let me ask you, Right now, in your heart, in this very place, do you have a thankful attitude to God? Are you thanking Him right now for your circumstances, for your situation, sitting right here in a place of worship? We come to this place to worship our God and to give glory to Him. And how can we do that if we don't have a thankful heart? But you say to yourself, and I know I would, well, this is a joyful place. I got a lot of friends. I got other believers. I enjoy fellowshipping with them. I love coming to hear the word, sitting under God's teaching. It's easy to be thankful here in this church. How about tomorrow? When you walk out of this building and life again hits you in the face, are you going to be giving thanks? One of the kind, nice things it is, is is being a guest speaker is I don't know you and you don't know me. And I'm not saying that's the nice part, but the nice part is is I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. I don't know your circumstances. So I don't know what's going on with you. So I can honestly say that if you're in a circumstance and you find yourself unable to give thanks to the Lord, then you need to check where your heart is. Because this is an all-inclusive thing. Does anybody know of any other meaning of the word always besides all the time? And you may say, but Brother Hunter, that's you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. And you don't know what I'm going through. And you don't know where I've been and I don't know where you've been. But I do know this. God knows. And if He says always... I'm to be continuously 
giving Him thanks. Now you say, how is that possible? It's possible if we recognize we always have joy in our heart. Now, Having joy and happiness are not always the same thing. They should be tied together. And at the root of our life and our worship of our Lord, there's joy. But there are some times that our life is filled with sorrow. There are deaths in the families. There are loss of loved ones. There are tragic circumstances that come about. That doesn't mean we lose our joy for the Lord, lose sight that we're to give Him thanks always for all things. It doesn't mean that there's not sorrow in our life. We're told to weep at certain times with those that are weeping, to mourn with those that mourn, to laugh with those that laugh. So there are all seasons and times of our life, but God makes it very clear that at every season and every time and every circumstances, we're to always be giving thanksgiving. Because there's always something to give thanks to the Lord about. It's to be comprehensive. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. Now there are times in my life that I admittedly have not given thanks to God for. There are certain things that I think, Lord, why in the world did you let that happen? Lord, why did that have to happen to me? So we say, I've got to give thanks all the time, and I've got to give thanks for everything. I've got to even give thanks when things aren't going well in my household or at work. I'm in this difficulty, I'm in that struggle. I just don't see any other qualifiers, though. Give thanks always for all things except for. You just don't find that in Scripture. And it can be a difficult thing. I did take this from a well-known commentator. He said that there are three levels of thanksgiving or thankfulness. The first level of thankfulness is to be thankful when you are blessed. And when things are going well or God grants an especially welcome benefit, you are happy and grateful. It's easy to do. And experiencing such pleasant things like maybe getting that job that you were pursuing or as a Christmas season's coming and we have these certain desires, you get that gift that you were desiring. It's easy to be thankful. But I hope that in those times that we do stop And we do recognize that it's God's hand and every pleasant blessing that He bestows upon us. And that we acknowledge Him in giving praise and thanks for everything He's done. It's an easy time to do. Look with me briefly at Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. The children of Israel are ready to give great thanks to God. Why? Because God has taken them from out of bondage in Egypt. And now God has destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. And so they sing a song, a national song of praise and thanksgiving. Then sang Moses, beginning at verse 1 through verse 4, and the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord. 
and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. <clears throat> the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. So we see that God has done a great thing. <coughs> and when God does these great and wonderful things in our lives, it's easy then to sing to Him, sing His praises and lift high and bless Him. And we should. <coughs> it's right to be thankful for the blessing that God bestows in our life. So this first level of thankfulness is probably the easiest level to be thankful when you are blessed. There is a second level of thankfulness, and that is being grateful for the hope of blessing and victory yet to come. Whereas the first level is after the fact, the second level of thanksgiving is looking ahead. <clears throat> it's looking to the future. The second level is where faith and hope begin because it involves the unseen and yet unexpected. Again, let's go to the Old Testament. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20. And I want us to see how the children of Israel respond in this case to an anticipated blessing. And they do this actually in obedience to what God has commanded. The king at this time is King Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> and they're about to be attacked by the powerful armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites. These two enemies of Israel have now joined together and they've, they've joined together and come into war in that season of war uh, that came around every year. Jehoshaphat sees this. They're outnumbered. And so in verse 3, what does Jehoshaphat do? He does, like, he does like what most of us would do. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. Jehoshaphat prayed. He sees impending doom. He sees difficulty on the horizon. It's coming. It's a war and he's not sure that he can actually win this war. And so he prays. Verse 6, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou, not thou God in heaven? <clears throat> and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? But in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? So Jehoshaphat goes to the Lord and acknowledges the Lord in his power, in his strength, in his might. Are you not this one? And then he acknowledges. Judah's weakness, look at verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. God answers in verses 14 through 17. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, and this list of names here, uh, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, 
Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. What an encouragement it is to pray to the Lord, to acknowledge His might, to acknowledge our weakness, and then have the Lord say, I'm going to fight this battle for you. You don't even have to fight this battle. You don't even have to be engaged. But go and see what I'm going to do. But God did make an unusual request for these people. Verses 18 and 19, we see Jehoshaphat speaking, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. So they began praising God, worshiping God for the victory that's to come. Still hasn't come yet. So now let's take a look at what happens. Verses 20 and 21. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe His prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. It's an interesting thing. These are the war plans of the king and the general. We're going to take the people out and we're going to assign singers. Not men of war. We're not taking our armor. We're not taking our chariots, which I don't know that they had any. But they're not taking the warriors, but they're establishing singers who are going to sing. And when they began to sing, verse 22, and praise the Lord, and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. What do we see? God gives the victory. And then in verse 26, we see praise again. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the Valley of Barakah unto this day. Thanking God before a blessing is more difficult than thanking Him afterwards. When Jehoshaphat was in great fear and trepidation for not only his life, but his nation and his people and his land, he came before the Lord. He humbled himself. He exalted God in His power and strength. He recognized his own weakness and turned the matter over to God. 
And before the victory was ever won, he established these singers who went out and praised God, thanking Him for the victory, and then, and then they watched God for the next days, several days, see these, their enemy fight within themselves and destroy themselves. This second level of blessing is more difficult than thanking Him afterward. It actually requires a bit more faith. More spiritual maturity. It takes us time to stop and look ahead and trust the Lord in the time of darkness, in the time where we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. We don't see the end. But we give ourselves over to God and we give our situation over to Him and we anticipate His blessings so we give, him thanking, we give thanksgiving for the blessings that are to come. Now, the third level of thankfulness is thanking God in the midst of the battle. And this is probably the place where we may more often find ourselves and certainly find some difficulty. When we're undergoing difficult times, where we're undergoing trouble, where we're undergoing situations and circumstances that are overwhelming us, and we don't know where to turn and we don't know what to do, what should we do? One more Old Testament passage. Turn with me, if you will, to Job, the first chapter. I believe if you know the story of Job, you'll know that this is a man who became overwhelmed with the circumstances of life. Do we recognize that Job never knew why these things came into his life? Do you understand that if you read through the entire book of Job, we know what happened? We know that Satan became before God and accused men before God and God was actually the first one to bring Job's name up, not Satan. God said, how about my servant Job? Satan didn't ask about Job. God brought Job into the matter. And then Satan says, well, of course he serves you. You've blessed him. Look at all his riches. Look at all of his wealth. Look at his large family. Look at all the wonderful things that you've done for Job. And God says, okay, you go take away the things of Job, but you can't touch him. And so what does Satan do? He destroys Job's children. He destroys many of his servants. He destroys and wipes out most of his wealth with the cattle. And he's only got servants to come back and tell him what's going on, that these things have happened. And you would think that that would be enough, but then Job comes back to God because God's in control. He appoints the day where all of his creation stands before him. <clears throat> Satan doesn't come and go as he pleases, but there was an appointed day. A second time Satan is there. And God brings up Job again. And what does Satan say? Well, of course. Yeah, I took all this stuff from him, but I, you didn't let me touch him. So God says, okay, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. And so what we find here in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1, we see Job's response to all this difficulty in his life. What would my response be, I wonder? I told you that both of my sons serve in the military. The oldest is married. The, young, the younger is engaged to be married. 
And I, don't, I, I can't say for sure how I would respond if the Lord took the life of either one of my sons. I would hope I would respond like Job. What about my son and daughter-in-law who we love dearly? What about our son and his fiancée who are growing to know her and will love her too? What if God takes them away? How am I going to respond? Will I be thankful in the midst of sorrow? Verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. And I can't say that when I've been in the midst of some difficulty that I haven't been tempted and tested and maybe... I would hope not, but maybe I've gone too far and charged God foolishly as opposed to giving praise and exaltation. In chapter 2, we see that Job's wife is affected, sorely affected at the loss of her children. What mother would not be affected by the loss of her children? Sudden death with all of these things coming down and just piling on her at one time. And she does not know why. And nor does Job know why that God is allowing Satan to do this in his life and never once you find Job told this. And, God, and Job rebukes her in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die! But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the one hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. We find a godly response. Now I wish I could tell you that all through the book of Job that his response was godly in every step of the way. Now God had to rebuke him for some of the words that he used later on. But never once did he turn away from God. Never once did he not give God praise. He did question God, as we are often prone to do. But he rejoiced in God. He stood firm in God. And if you look at chapter 42, beginning in verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. When Job finally came to himself, he recognized that he had made a mistake, that God was righteous and wonderful in everything he had done. Even in the tragedies that he had allowed into Job's life, Job praised God for it. In verse 10 he says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 
Now, we don't know how God is acting or allowing things to come into our life. And some of these things that God allows into our life are some of the most tragic and depressing and sorrowful times that could ever come. But we know from Scripture that God says He'll never give us more than we can bear. And that we never will get to a place where we're so entrapped and engulfed where we have to curse Him and turn from Him. He always makes a way of escape. And when the burdens get so heavy, Christ says, cast your cares upon Me. I care about you. I'll not forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. I care for you. I love you. And the other thing the Bible tells us in Galatians is the what? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to come alongside those who are in the deepest trials and difficult situations and bear their burdens with Him. Now Galatians makes very clear there are certain burdens that we bear that nobody else can bear. I will have things that come into my life that I will bear. You will not be able to bear them for me. God gave them specifically to me to carry. But there are other things where I rejoice when another one comes beside me, whether it be my wife, whether it be a brother and sister in Christ as a close friend, or somebody I don't even know who just comes alongside and helps carry that burden, share that grief, mourn with me in sorrow, but yet we can rejoice and give glory to the Lord and praise Him even in the midst of that and give thanks that our God is almighty and He is righteous and just in all that He does. And that everything that He does is not only for His glory, but for our good, even when we don't see it. And sometimes the difficult things that He allows into our lives are to be used so that we respond in such a way that others outside then see and can praise God. Or can be used in our lives to to draw them unto our loving Heavenly Father. And so in the midst of the most difficult times, we can say, Lord... I don't understand all that you're doing. I'm not sure why this is going on, but I know that it's for your glory, it's for my good, and I thank you for it. And Father, bring me out of this, if nothing else, to make me more mature in the faith. Because that's what testings and trials are about. To mature us in the faith that we would learn to endure and we would also be able to take those experiences and those times and come beside someone else who's going through that similar time and be an encouragement to them to build them up and edify. But this is definitely a difficult, difficult phase of thanksgiving. And so as I said before, I don't know what's going on in your life. You may be in that first phase where the Lord is just showering blessings upon you right now. And like the the hymn we have, count your blessings. Or maybe you see dark times coming, but you can count your blessings and praise the Lord and give Him thanksgiving that I know that you will carry me through. And then there's that place where we find ourselves in the middle of difficulty. We didn't see it coming. It came upon us suddenly. And it's a difficult time and yet we can count our blessing and give thanksgiving to God because He will bring us through it. And we will learn to depend upon Him. And much like we talked about in Sunday school about the steps of a good man being ordered by the Lord, God establishes every path that you're going down 
We're to delight in that way. Whatever way that path takes us, we're to delight in it. But God says, because you trust Me, because you take refuge in Me, because you're boldly confident in Me, I will lift you up. I will restore you. You will receive the blessings that I promised. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to give that kind of thanksgiving. Now, very quickly I'm going to close. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Because I don't want us to leave here without, think, without understanding one thing. This is not something that any one of us can do on our own. It is imperative that we understand that the foundation of our thanksgiving is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 20 it says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to our our Heavenly Father to give thanks, we're giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our thanks should be consistent with what He has done for us and what He will do for us in the future. If we're reminded that our thanksgiving is not because of us or anything that we do or can do, but it's in Christ and in His name, then we come before our Father with a proper heart and attitude of thanksgiving. Because that's who we're giving our thanksgiving to. Look what it says there. Giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father. When we give our thanks, it's unto our Heavenly Father who loved us and sent His Son to die for us, who made the way of salvation for us, who through His love and kindness has demonstrated and manifested His grace upon us to not only draw us unto Himself to that place of salvation, but His promise to mature us in the faith through a daily walk with Him, becoming more and more Christ-like through the steps of sanctification. And part of that is going through difficult times. Part of that's going through the good times. Part of that seeing the times to come and depending upon God for all things. But this is what it's all about. In fact, this is one of Paul's few epistles where the focus really is on God the Father. He gives preeminence to Christ but it's for the Father. I want you to look at chapter 1 in verse 3 where all the doctrine begins. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Later in chapter 1, we find that Christ is where? Christ is at the right hand of the Father and we are in Christ. And all of these blessings that are bestowed upon us in the heavenlies, in heaven, is because of Christ. It's through Christ, but it's because of our Heavenly Father. He's done the blessing. And when uh, the doctrine is wrapped up in chapter 3, I want you to go to chapter 3, the last two verses of chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And in fact, this is the closing part of a prayer that Paul has here as he closes out the doctrine before going into the application of the doctrine in these next passages. In verse 20 he says, Now unto Him, 
And this is speaking of the Father, not Christ. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in, in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. And this is the culmination of all that God has done. God, is, God has drawn us from the world and saved us through the works of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we have placed our faith in Him, we're part of this body of believers called the church. This is a local manifestation of the body of Christ. And now, unto Him we give blessing. Unto Him we give praise. Unto Him we direct our thanksgiving because of what He is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask, and beyond all that we can ever think. This is what God is doing. He's done it from the beginning, and He'll do it forever. And we're to give Him blessing in all things. And if we remember these things, we can come before Him, as it says in verse 20. We humble ourselves, be filled with the Spirit, and as a result of that, we're giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word as it's what sets us free. You love us. You watch over us. You care for us in so many ways. First and foremost, You loved us and sent us Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came without sin, to take our sin upon Him to be the sacrifice for our sin. And if we place our faith in the name of Christ, who He is, His person and His work, then You've promised to save us. You've promised to make us Your children. You've even promised to make us co-inheritors with Christ Himself. And what a blessing that is. If nothing else but to be saved. And yet You've gone beyond that and called us Your children and promised us many blessings for the future. You've told us this life will be difficult. You've told us we'll have good times, we'll have difficult times. But Father, You've impressed upon our hearts that we're to be giving You thanks in all things at all times through the name of Christ. And they're to be directed to You. And so I ask this day that as You examine our hearts that You would challenge us of where we are. Remind us to be thankful in all things. Certainly for the blessings You bestow now and will in the future. But Father, thank You for the difficult times You allow us to go through. That we would mature in the faith. That we would learn to lean upon You and ever turn to You for refuge and cover and deliverance. And we thank You for the hope that we have of the future when we know Christ will reign and rule for all eternity. It will be a time of peace. It will be a time of wonder. But I thank You for these days now, evil as they are, that we can honor You and thank You. And I pray that as we move into this week, that each and every day, as we move towards Thanksgiving and enjoy time with family and friends, that we'll be reminded of where our true Thanksgiving should be directed, the blessings You bestowed upon us, 
Help us to lift high to your holy name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.